Trauma. It's a word that you've probably heard thrown around quite a bit, but what is trauma, really? My name is Shanna White, but you can call me Shan. I'm a psychologist, and defining trauma is a pretty big part of my day-to-day life. But my job goes beyond providing a dictionary description of what trauma is, because that's just the tip of the iceberg, as they say. No, my job is to define trauma, to highlight its impacts, and most importantly, to help those who've lived through it to figure out how to thrive beyond it. I've spent years working with children, adolescents and adults trying to guide them through the process of recovering from complex trauma. Needless to say, I've seen and heard a lot and now you will too. But first, a trigger warning. This podcast deals with some pretty heavy topics including domestic violence, substance abuse, mental illness, crimes against children, self-harm, sexual abuse, multi-generational trauma, and suicide. If you don't think you're in the right headspace to deal with any of these topics right now, please cut yourself some slack, take a deep breath, and come back another day. I'll be here. I would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians and elders on all the lands on which we work and meet. I appreciate the significant place Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders hold, and I identify them as the first Australians. I value and celebrate Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander history, culture and future and I'm committed to supporting reconciliation through speaking the truth, pursuing justice and creating opportunities to heal together. I pay my deep respects to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander elders past and present and acknowledge all Aboriginal children, young people, families and staff who I provide services to now and in the future. I embrace and commit to the spirit of work and self-determination, empowerment and reconciliation. The Trauma Tale started as a little passion project to entertain me during lockdown, but it's turned into something so much more than I ever could have imagined. I'm the host, the producer, the admin, marketing, content developer, social media manager and designer. I could sell the trauma cats, but that would mean that the anonymity of the people I interview wouldn't be as protected as it is now. See, it's only me who knows, and I swore to protect the people who share their stories with you. But that means that I don't get to take in any of the network's funds either. So to keep the trauma tales running, I've launched a Patreon account for those of you who want more than just the regular seasons. Patreons will be entitled to discounted merch, extra content, and heaps more, like Q&As with me. So to help me keep this podcast going, jump on the link in the show notes and make a one-time contribution or a monthly subscription so I can keep sharing these stories with you and protect those who honour us with their tales. Welcome back to the Trauma Tales, everybody. I'm joined today by Brian. Hey, Brian, how you doing? Good, how are you? Yeah, pretty good for a Friday. <laughs> so thanks to uh, restriction lifts, we're actually able to come back into the studio. Um, so Ryan, uh, Brian's actually with me today, which is cool. Um, so Brian, tell me a little bit about a time where you experienced trauma. Um, I guess my trauma story is not so much a, a single event. It's, a, I guess, a series of events that have led to a, a pretty sort of bad breakdown, I guess, um, over a couple of years that then took a, a couple of years of hard work to recover from. Okay. So what do you think was the start? What was the start point? 
Uh, it's a really good question and something I've been thinking about for a long time. Um, so I served in the ADF mm-hmm. um, and obviously like lost a few mates that were serving overseas. And so just for those of us playing mm-hmm. along at home, the ADF stands for the Australian Defence Forces. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. you served in the military. Yeah. How long were you in the military for? Uh, about 12 years all up. Okay. How mm. old were you when you joined? Uh, the day after my 18th birthday. You were a baby. Mm. Oh, my mm. gosh. Okay. Yeah, wow. So, yeah, basically spent, I guess, yeah, most of my early adulthood in, in the Army and then was out just short of my 30th birthday trying to figure it all out. Mm. Yeah, wow. So you experienced some loss of your friends. Yeah, so uh, I wasn't I wasn't there. I, I was in Australia at the time. Um so a couple, couple of uh, really close mates like killed in action overseas, um, and uh, I'd, I'd served in like a humanitarian disaster zone and a couple of things like that. But um, I guess I sort of started like retrospectively or looking back on it, I started to notice. Well, if I look back now, I can see when like my behaviour and things like that started to change. Um, and that was probably really sort of like a, a two really close mates around 2011, 2012 that, that were killed in action. Um, I guess that was the real sort of spiral downward of, of sort of bad behaviour creeping in and, and that bad behaviour being a, a result of sort of stress and anxiety and trauma. Um, so when you say bad behaviour, you say you sort of saw some behaviours creeping in. What did that look like for you? Uh, just like partying excessively hard, like um, those sort of things that you, you at the time you think are beneficial behaviours like drugs, alcohol, sex, gambling, things like that. Um, and you think, oh, it's all part and parcel of having a good time at a party when really you're just, uh, <laughs> you're just masking some real problems. So. Mm. Mm. so you were only like late teens early 20s and you started losing like your best friends yeah yeah basically yeah yeah wow um and then as i guess the real sort of spiral um i, I was in a unit based in sydney and i was on the parachute training course and I, mm-hmm. i'd been injured on that so uh, and the day i was injured uh, my dad passed away from cancer um so I was sort of lucky in the fact that I was in Nowra at the time um, and, and I'd been injured in, in a training uh, scenario and I was basically able to drag myself down to uh, see Dad just before he passed away. So that was good. But, um, yeah, it was not too long after that that, um, yeah, my uh, I was kicked out of the Army, yeah. So just so I'm pulling it all together, you joined the military as a kid, basically, mm. and you spent 12 years in the military, you lost friends, you went on humanitarian missions, which, like, in my work, I get to work with lots of different people. And humanitarian missions, whilst not war, in the same way, the the reason that the ADF go on humanitarian missions is because people are not okay. Mm. People mm. are dying. There's mm. devastation. There's so many things. Like the tsunami that happened was a humanitarian mission, but still the devastation and what you see and Mm, mm. what you are exposed to is horrific stuff. Mm, mm, mm. So you've gone through this and, and if I can sort of 
the the human brain and neurosequential development for males hasn't actually finished until you're like mid twenties. So mm. you don't even have the mid like the the prefrontal cortex hasn't completely developed for you guys yet. Mm-hmm. So you don't even have all those skills and resilience to be able to manage the things that you have to, like you're forced to. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, you lose your best mates and now you get injured mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. your dad passes away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, basically, yeah. Like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. And uh, at the time you... You think you've got the tools to cope with it and, and the tools you think you have at the time aren't the right tools to have to cope with it. Um, and it's not till the cracks start to appear that, um, yeah, what, what things can go bad, yeah. So what were the tools you thought, well, okay, what were the things that you thought were tools that you had at the time that turned out to be maladaptive? Uh, well, basically like the, uh, the culture at the time was knock off work on a Friday, get on get on the beers with, with the boys, party, and then brush it all off and get back to work on a Monday. Like what? <laughs> yeah. Like the whole weekend? <laughs> Basically, yeah. yeah. Oh, my God. I'm mm. in bed by like 8.30 on a Friday night. <laughs> mm. Mm. Um, and it was that group, like that clique of people being your the other guys, like in the same situation as you are. Yeah, basically. You're like, all trying to cope together. Yeah, yeah. Well, definitely as we started moving forward from like 2012, um, there was a, a lot of my peer group were, were basically being discharged from the military for similar incidents there. Yeah. So I guess you could say like the, the cracks were starting to show. Um, tell me about the days before your discharge. What were the events? Like walk me through them. Um, so the, the unit I was working in was pretty high speed, high pressure. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you just sort of take it in your stride. Like you, you, you do your best to do your job. Um, yeah, I guess looking back on it, um, I was starting to feel like my professional life was really good. And my personal life was a bit of a tornado. Like I had this, I used to draw this like picture of like an upward arrow for my life professionally. And then my personal life was just like a bit of a mess. Like, um, and what, what does that look like? What was a mess? What was a mess? Well, um, like somehow I'd managed to not find myself a house. Like I was living on my mate's couch, um, which is like (laughs) as a, 25, 27 year old sergeant, like lip crashing on his mate, best mate's couch is, was probably a good sign things weren't working too well. Yeah, we call um, that homelessness, my dude. Yeah, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah, struggling to save money. Um, and then, yeah, just sort of the partying and, and carrying on like that was um, at the time seemed like perfectly normal behavior. But now looking back, it was a pretty clear sign that uh, things weren't very good. Hey, it's me. Sorry to interrupt. Um, I'll let you get back to it in just a sec, but I just wanted to stop for a second because I really wanted to celebrate this little podcast and how much it it has grown in just a year. So I want to celebrate with each and every person who has honoured not only me, but over 2,000 people with their stories. So I want to invite you to a party. So join me on the 29th of April, 2022 
at 8.30pm Australian Eastern Standard Time for a completely free online cocktail party. I'm going to be interviewing some special guests, we're going to have giveaways, we're going to play games and I'm going to make some big announcements. So to get your free tickets, go to our link tree and click on the tickets. It should be in the show notes. Don't forget to connect on Facebook and Instagram for some personally curated cocktails that we can enjoy together. All right, guys, back to it now. I'll see you at the cocktail party. Bye. And then, yeah, so basically that led to an event where I went to a Bucks party um, and then got drug tested on the Monday morning and failed the drug test. And that led to my discharge. So you had done drugs at yeah, the Bucks yeah. party. Um, and I've actually got no real memory of the event. So that's something I've struggled with for so long was like, I don't actually really have a memory of the events that led to me getting kicked out of uh, what I assume would be a lifelong career. So so you set yourself up. Basically, yeah. To be in the military forever. Yeah, yeah. That's what That was my plan, yeah. And the coping strategies that you had at the time erase that for you exactly yeah wow and you just lost your dad yeah yeah how close were you to your dad uh pretty close considering like i come from a split family so um but yeah the time i did spend with dad i'd say that he was one of my best mates like um yeah so like most of the things i know and do in life i can attribute to the lessons that mum or dad taught me you know so Mm -hmm. And when you went to that Bucks party was just after your dad had passed away, yeah? Yeah, that's correct, yeah. Okay, so it was like a spiral. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right, so you were homeless, you injured yourself, your dad passed away and you started, well, you did more drugs so much though that you didn't even remember doing it. No, that's correct, yeah. So take me to the moment where you did the drug test. What was that like? Uh, well, I'd been down, uh, so my brother and I had managed to repurchase the farm in Goulburn. Um, so that was like a really positive step at the time. Um, and I felt like I was starting to get everything together. Um, yeah, so basically, um, yeah, was was driving back on the Sunday, uh, sorry, on the Monday morning, um, got to work and one of the boys was like, oh, don't go anywhere, we're going up for a drug test and just that immediate like fear um, had sort of set in, adrenaline pumping. Um, but you didn't know, like you didn't remember that you'd done drugs, but like somewhere in your head you were just like, oh, I'm going to fail. Well, I'd never actually done a drug test before, so <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I'd never actually done one. Um, what does it entail? Like exactly. Oh, just a urinalysis, yeah. At, oh, okay, so you just heat up. I believe now it's like urinalysis and hair samples and things like that. But um, oh, at wow. the time it was just a urinalysis. So, so like a pregnancy test. Yeah, 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 basically. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so just sort of like a little bit sort of, yeah, just sitting there and they're like, you're, you're up. And they're like, oh, you failed the test, come with me. And they read this thing out. And it was really weird because normally you would be removed from like active duties essentially. Like, mm-hmm. um, they're, yeah. That that would be the normal process for someone who had failed failed a drug test, and and they're sort of like, oh, you know, like this, it's probably a mistake, and they're like, you know, can you tell us what happened? And I'm like, man, I got no, I got no idea. I, was, I went to the races on a Bucks party on s- Saturday morning, and then yeah, a bit hungover Sunday night, and uh, and here we are. Um, and so, and I continued on with about <clears throat> four months of, of service, like on on sort of. The, I was on certain duties at the time and um, 
was basically operating during that period. Um, and like, and then, uh, we were on a big exercise one night and the, the boss basically come up and said, you're done, mate. Um, handed me the paper. They took my firearms off me and, uh, marched me off the airfield we were on at the time. And, uh, like in front of everybody, in front of everyone, yeah, <gasps> and sort of uh, that was it. Yeah. A few oh days my- later, I was, well, like had a bit, of, yeah. A couple of weeks later, I was driving out the gate. Sorry, I'm stuck. <laughs> yeah. In front of everybody. Yeah, that was probably a hard thing to deal with. <laughs> um, if you, being sorry, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> if you've set yourself up to have a lifelong career in the military and you'd worked really hard. And as you said, your career was on the up and you were doing, that was the one thing that you were good at. Mm, mm. And not only has it been taken away from you because, okay, yeah, yeah fucked up. Yeah, yeah. But there's mitigating circumstances around that. You were really struggling at the time, which would tell me that the military, maybe not that trauma informed, just mm. throwing it out there. But to march you, off in front of everybody after you'd had such a long career like 12 years is such a long time for someone who's we like 30 yeah yeah about that yeah but then yeah it's more than a third of your life yeah and then just i mean you, you got to look at the principles of the adf like zero tolerance and that for it um and i but, get that but why humiliate you yeah um I guess someone had to be made an example of, you know, and, and I stand by their decision. Like they, they have to have a zero tolerance. Um, but, um, and, and I'm to like, I had to, uh, learn to take responsibility for my actions. Like at the time I was blaming everyone else and everything else, but one of the key things I had to do was learn to, uh, take responsibility for my actions. So sort of when I got out, I, I was sort of drove out the gate on the Tuesday and then started a new job on the Thursday working for a construction company in Goulburn basically. And so I went from a thousand miles an hour to um, sitting on a, a small piece of plant equipment, rolling bitumen into the road and, and uh, struggling to pay the bills. And then that led to sort of working seven days a week. So back like as a bouncer on Friday and Saturday night so that I could continue to, um, you know, pay the mortgage and, I had a baby on the way at the time and the farm and things, yeah. Okay, sorry, you just chucked that out there. We're (laughs) going to stop and come back. Yeah. So you had a baby on the way. How did that kind of happen? Because clearly someone else was involved in this process. Yeah, so like I had a partner at the time um, and uh, we got married um, and... when you say you had a partner at the time, you had a partner at the time of your discharge. Yeah, so we were like not far into sort of having, um, you know, get, gotten together when it was okay. all happening. And I actually went to an army psych or provided psych uh, not long after my discharge. And I said, like, oh, look, I'm really struggling with this. Like, I don't know what to say to people. I don't know how I'm going to get a job. Like, um, I really don't know what how to handle it. And he goes... Just tell people you got a medical discharge for an injury and crack on with life. And, uh, and that's basically what I did. Uh, I just sort of said, Oh, and then people would say, <laughs> Why did you get, you know, and I say, oh, I got medical discharge. I got injured. And, and, uh, that was the real start of, of a bad downward spiral. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like I've realized this is a podcast. People can't see my face, but my eyes are bugging with how <laughs> not okay that is. Oh my God. <laughs> So yeah, tell me about the downward spiral. Um, so about 
it feels like six weeks after I got out, but I'm not sure on the exact timeline. I started sort of having trouble to breathe when I was working. Like I, I felt like I had like a chest infection or or something like that. Like, and I, I started because Dad had passed away from cancer. I started getting visions in my head that I had like lung cancer or something like that. Um, yeah, well, and yeah, I was walking around struggling to breathe. My temper was getting really short. So um, not so much a bad temper, but everyone that spoke to me, I felt like I was being attacked in some way. Like I felt like I was going to get in trouble for something all the time. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we were out on the town one night um, having a few drinks, having a dance. And it, I just, that was my first um, major sort of anxiety attack where couldn't breathe, couldn't see, like I just had that dark sort of um, tunnel vision mm-hmm. um, and uh, was basically unable to, to walk, like high heart rate, short breath, and then starting to panic because I'm like, oh, I'm going to die, I've got cancer or something like that. Uh, ended up going to the emergency department um, and was obviously a little bit agitated because of it, but in by no means uh, violent or anything. Like I was laying down on a bed essentially like saying, I can't breathe, can you help me? Um, and they kicked me out of hospital. Um, and uh, I basically spent the next two to three weeks at home in bed. <laughs> uh, they kicked you out of hospital. Yeah. Oh, my God. And that was the first real exposure my family had had to it. So they, because I was just doing the sort of masking everything, like I was mm. fine and working hard, and and then all of a sudden had this, um, you know, massive breakdown and and couldn't bear to go outside or face anyone for two weeks. That was their real first exposure to to the problems that I was hiding. Eh? This episode of the Trauma Tales is brought to you by Cognitive Behavioural Education providing training and supervision for people working with people who experience trauma. If you work with people, you know how challenging it can be sometimes and how you can end up having the wrong end of someone's day or having to deal with their trauma. CBE's training and supervision services can upskill and support you and your team to manage, de-escalate and thrive in these situations. For more information, go to www.cbe.net.au. So what came next? Um, well, it was about, so it was about that time. It was after about two or three weeks and I'd been prescribed like a bit of Valium and things like that, um, or just Valium, which didn't do anything for me other than make me want to sit on the couch all day and stare out a frosty window. So I guess uh, I, I got it a couple of weeks into it and I thought, there's got to be a better way to operate than this. Like this can't be the answer. Um, obviously what I'm doing and at, at the moment is not the answer to my problems. Like, um, if I'd been taught, I'd been taught that if something was wrong, you worked hard at it. Like you just work hard. Like, you know, you make money, you work hard. Life's going to be okay. But, um, so that's when I sort of started, like, I guess you'd call it like a bit of personal development. So I was driving trucks at the time. I was able to listen to like a couple of really good audio books. Um, mm-hmm. And that sort of opened my eyes to the potential that there was a better way to, to start to fix things. Um, yeah. 
And you got married and tell me about the baby. Yes, yeah, so I got married and um, had a, a baby girl in early 2018, mm-hmm. um, thinking that I was 100%, uh, but yeah, really, really wasn't 100%. So still, still working seven days a week, um, still very re- reactive to things in a way. Um, and that sort of would lead to me like being really withdrawn. So always finding an excuse like that avoidance. So, you know, being out chopping wood or working or on the tractor and and wanting so much to be, have that perfect family thing, but preventing myself from doing it. And that eventually led to a marriage breakdown. Um, so how did two, it impact three. on that relationship, do you think? Uh, well, me not really being able to explain what my problems were mm-hmm. and, and, and uh, just, yeah, not being able to communicate, um, not being able to uh, express myself properly. Um, and, uh, yeah, there was other things like, you know, certain people in my life that couldn't handle that, like that, it, it, like that sort of stress and anxiety and, yeah, these types of things were like a bit taboo, like, oh, you know, so that sort of made me feel like an outsider to, to the to the environment I was in. So you lost people in your life because of your mental health? Yeah, basically, yeah. 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 That sucks. Yeah, it does, yeah. yeah. But I will chuck out there that in my experience, a lot of times people will retract because it's reflective of their own shit. Mm, mm. Sometimes we identify things in people and go, oh, I'm not ready to deal with my version of that, so I can't deal with yours. Mm, mm. So maybe, maybe, um, I'm not excusing the behavior. No, no. I'm just saying that in my experience, I've, I've come across that. I've come across a lot of people who were like, I didn't understand this. Um, and it happened to somebody else. And I, I walked away from them mm. and I did it because it triggered stuff in me. Yeah. So yeah. I wonder if for some of the people in your life, because so many of the people in your life would have had so many similar experiences, been military members, been in those spaces, mm. that maybe, just maybe for some of them it triggered things in them. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think so, yeah. Mm. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, like I started Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu mm-hmm. um, and I found that was – I actually found that was a bit of a common theme throughout all of the in the personal development space was like you know finding something to apply yourself to basically mm. um, and, and getting a bit of structure and and um, yeah like through like the Brazilian Jiu Jitsu you learn a lot about keeping yourself calm and you know, responding to t- tough situations basically so that was a really good s- tool I wouldn't say it was the the golden egg. A lot, a lot of people will say it's the golden egg to fixing all your problems in life. There's but no, no, it was definitely a great tool that started uh, to helping out. Yeah. Mm. My son actually does Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu as well and he's neurodivergent. He has ADHD and he isn't the biggest guy on the mats for his – it's such – it's so weird. They do it in ages but for teenagers, yeah. they're, they can be so different in size for the same age. Mm. 
and he will face guys who are much bigger than him and he will win because he'll think his way through it yeah, rather yeah. than use his body. He'll like, he's learned to think his way through it. And it's actually been really helpful for him as a behavioral strategy for his ADHD. Hmm. So, but it's, again, it's not the golden egg. It's part of a picture. Yeah, hundred percent. They call it, yeah, like it's they call it like it's cerebral. Yeah, they, they call it like the kids that are really good at it. They call them like nerd assassins and things like that. You know, because uh, same guy, any anyone can become good at it. But um, yeah. So in terms of like uh, like starting to to uh, I guess you could say recover from these events. Um, it was a choice, basically. Like I, I had to make a choice. Like no one's going to help me sort it out. Like um, yeah, on that actually, where where were the military? Like you, you were a veteran. Like you served over a decade. Where were the services for you after you left? Ah, oh, yeah, I've tried new, numerous things, different advocates and legal teams and things like that. But um, I just had to make the decision that. Uh, to to build a career myself and and uh, and not just fix things by myself, but like I, like I've had help, uh, but that pathway wasn't really working for me at any point. So, a lot of closed doors, especially when I would bring up the issue of my discharge. Um, it, it was it's been closed doors essentially a lot of the time. So because you were discharged for taking drugs, you weren't entitled to the services. Basically, yeah. Well, that that's what I've been told, um, and I've had some recent conversations with a with an agency that is actually aware of the fact that substance abuse is a, is an indicator of uh, trauma, trauma, and that the trauma isn't, yeah, yeah. So there is some uh, progress, but it's very early stages, and it's what five, six years down the track. So, um, yeah, so. Um, I, I did started doing like a philosophy course. I did like a twenty week oh, philosophy course through uh, Practical Philosophy Australia. I think it's called like a little okay. online group, and they were talking about uh, like non dualism <laughs> philosophy. Uh, I tended to like relate to the old Stoics more than the philosopher than the, this type <laughs> of of uh, philosophy but it was really I found it a map the biggest eye-opener was um being able to converse with people from different perspectives so that was a massive eye just coming from such a male-dominated military environment and then uh, also one of my major clients at work was a university and so I spent a lot of time at this one university uh, and that was a a learning thing as well <laughs> ironically yeah 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 so that dragged me out of the cave a little bit further as well uh. in this gift giving season i want to introduce you to mind love they're a hamper company but with a difference so most hampers are like about flowers or wine or chockies robes and candles and these are all really lovely but sometimes you want something more personal for the person's needs Mind Love is a hamper company about our mental health. So you can go to the website and you can either build a hamper from scratch and put anything you like in it from a huge range of products. Or if you prefer, you can select from an already curated hamper and their products are incredible. So I actually had one made for Frankie's wife when she had surgery. It was chock full of amazingness. I selected the ultimate pamper package because she really needed some relaxation and self-care time after everything that had happened in the last few months. She 
loved it. She told me it was exactly what she needed. And Mind Love isn't just for adults. I have heaps of products and packages for kids and teens as well. So if you want to give something to support someone you love, show them that you hear them and that you see them and help to normalize mental health, go to mindlove.com.au. That's M-I-N-D-L-O-V-E dot com dot A-U. Say hi to Jen for me. Tell her I sent you mindlove.com.au. All about prioritizing self-care and mental health. So how do you think your traumas or your – so what you've just described is compound post-traumatic stress disorder. So we talk about – big T trauma, little T trauma, and then we talk about compound trauma. Mm. And big T trauma is like the stuff you think about when I say the word trauma. You think about car accidents. You think about the big stuff, right? Mm. You think about assaults. You think about crimes. You think about major accidents. But compound trauma is where those things go back to back to back to back. Mm. So for you, you had that space. So you'd lost multiple people in your life who were really close to you in really tragic circumstances through combat, through Mm, war. They mm, were soldiers too. mm. Then you had a major accident and for what – see, this is a concept I will never get because my my work requires my brain. Mm. I've never done a job. Oh, no, I have, like, you know, early on, but I don't do a job that requires my body. Mm, to mm. function to be able to do my job so i can't think of what it would be like to almost like chop off a part of my brain and go that doesn't work anymore Mm. then i couldn't do my job like that's so much of who you are and your identity Mm. and then to lose your father who was your self self best friend Mm, he was mm, your best friend mm. in such a short space of time like of course you're a fucking mess yeah 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 like, no offense, but of course you were a fucking Yeah, 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 I was, yeah. But if you're in a space yeah. where you're not supported and you're not accepted and mental health is not something that's – and there's a huge stigma around it, mm. of course you turn to coping strategies that you've always turned to because that's that culture. That culture mm. is you'll be right, mate, go get pissed with the boys, ye the boys, yeah, that yeah. sort of shit. Of course you're going to do it and take it to that extreme. Mm. Mm. But then you've, I don't know, I'm kind of struggling with, of course, you've done all of the things and you've done it in all of the ways that you've been trained to do it. And then you took it to a place they're like, oh, oh no, that's too far. And we're going to humiliate yeah, exactly. you and throw you out and give you nothing. Yeah. yeah. And tarnish your name. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and it's been hard. For, like my brother is a, like a commissioned officer in the ADF as well. And it's been hard for him because... Um, you know, he always sort of lived in my shadow of, of me being a good soldier. You know, if I'm like, yeah, how's your brother? And he's like, oh, you know, don't worry how I... And then him having to deal with the fact that I was discharged in that way as well. So that that was like a massive source of shame for me that um, he had to deal with that in his own career because of like um, how close-knit our core was. So, yeah, he's had, you know, that's been last six years, he's had to deal with that as well, especially in the position he's in now. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how he's had to deal with that. So, uh, Do you ever talk about it with him? Um, I've apologised. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, like I've definitely apologised. And, uh, yeah, it, it's something that, 
is on the list of things we we need to discuss. Yeah, yeah. That depth. might be a campfire on the farm situation. Though. Yeah, that's right. Well, we ha- we we don't have to, we had to sell the farm. So, oh, yeah. what happened? Ah, uh, just with my divorce and things like that, and the the dynamic of a family trying to have. Yeah, we had a bit of an idea about the family would be able to recenter around the farm and relationship between my ex-wife and my mum wasn't great and so that was all breaking down and my brother was investing in the farm and I had a young family like and then so yeah it was just a mess we had to sell it and uh move. And, and that had always been my brother and I's dream was we were either going to do it with dad or we were going to do it ourselves to run to run a, a property with cattle and that and that was we lost that as well so um, I basically found myself moving to Canberra about two years ago to be closer to work, um, away from my daughter, so 40, 50 minutes down the road from my daughter, uh, but making that decision that I needed to be closer to work, focus on my health and career, and it, that would allow me to be a better dad and a better person. So, you know, sacrificing being there, but losing 10 to 12 hours a week in travel. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it was a pretty tough call to make, but... I think it's been the right call. So where are you now? How's your life now? Now? uh, Pretty good. So on my journey of, I guess, like, I guess you call it like a journey of recovery, I guess you could say. Uh, There was certain, I I read hundreds of hours of books or either listened to it or read it um, and tried things that didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Listened to things where I was like, oh, that's not going to work for me or but had an open mind. So I think that was the first thing was having an open mind to what could possibly be a better solution to, for me to learn to deal with things and, and basically just operate better. Um, so, yeah, basically. Um, so it's like, sorry, I didn't yeah. mean to interrupt you, but I just, because oh, I can't help but go back to neurosequential development of course i do um but going back to you joined the military when you were 18 years old you were you were a child and i can't move past the the fact that your brain hadn't actually fully developed Mm. yet Mm. so you had a portion of your childhood and consequent neurodevelopment within the military so you would you would trained literally and figuratively in to think this way to do this way to be this way Mm. and then through course of action of which you've taken accountability, but through course of action, you've, you, that doesn't exist for you anymore. No. So you've had to like almost completely rewire your entire brain yeah, over yeah. the last six years. I wouldn't say completely rewire. But... I mean, it's a work in progress, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, it's a work yeah. in progress, but to, to teach yourself, it's, oh, the only thing I can think of, and it's be- it's literally because I was reading this some mm. research about this the other day. It's almost about uh, similar to when people come out of cults, yeah, and they were born into that cult, and they're like, the- I was reading about how the brain structures sort of alter and the neuroplasticity, how it changes their brain over the course of time mm. to mm. like decult them and that way of thinking. Not that I'm saying the military is a cult, but I'm just saying it's an indoctrinated way of thinking. Um, from childhood because you were a child Mm. to having to now as a fully formed adult reteach yourself stuff you should have been able to learn 20 years ago 
Yeah, basically. So like the, when I first got out, I didn't even have a Medicare card or know how to go book a doctor's appointment. So that's a pretty good example of where I was at in terms of normal society. So, um, oh my God. But the, the, uh, so I work in like emergency consulting now. So I, I train people anything from a fire evac to active armed offender, counterterrorism drills, all those sorts of things. So that military background has allowed me to be successful in that. But the positive also is, well, to start with, I was a little bit too gung-ho. I had to learn to uh, temper that a little bit. like A little bit of calm the fuck little down. A little bit of calm, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I can run it. My, my, my emergency teams are pretty well trained. <laughs> but um, <laughs> that, that environment allowed me to be exposed to so many people and so many different types of people who I would have never normally come into contact with. So that was a massive uh, uh, learning experience for me as well. So university students, you know, people working in art galleries, people working for the government, people working in libraries and schools and all of these different types of people I was able to interact with in that space. And that, that's been a massive uh, help for me as well. Like learning from other people. And that's a skill. Yeah. It's an absolute skill learning to to be able to converse and engage with people and make people feel comfortable and safe Mm. with Mm. you to talk about difficult things. And I know this because I do this every single Mm. day Mm. because I encourage people and I get people to talk to me about like the deepest, darkest shit in their world, hence a.k.a. you. Mm. Um, But... To be able to do that, but to do it in a way that makes people feel safe, yeah. like that they're not being interrogated and that you can keep them safe emotionally and psychologically is is a huge skill and not a lot of people have it. Mm, mm. So the fact that you put in so much effort to obtain that skill when people I know who I've worked with who have been trained for 10, 20 years in it specifically as, you know, mental health professionals, they don't have it. They're not good mm. at it. So mm. hats off. Yeah. And it's something you've got to work at constantly. Like I, I don't want to be one of those people that sits on a pillar and says like, um, yeah, I've fixed myself. This is how I did it. And everyone else should do the same thing. But you now if I try to chat to my mates, I try to pass on as much as I can. But I think it was only three or four months ago. Now I had an, another massive anxiety attack and, but I was aware of it this time and mm-hmm. I could feel the signs of it building up. Like mm-hmm. I started avoiding phone calls which in turn affects business because i'm not answering phone calls from clients yeah um everything starts to feel hard so like a simple thing like filling out one of my reports which is already pre-done for me on a mobile app that we've built becomes the hardest task i can achieve for that day um and then you know i stick to that morning routine so up at the same time cleaning the house fitness coffee get to work that drops off i start to sleep until like 10 minutes to nine and then we were out walking the dog with my partner and there was like a bit of a loudmouth guy on the street sort of harassing people and a situation that i'd normally be pretty calm and collected in and able to control but i just had that trigger Mm. just black tunnel vision heartbeat and i I'd been able to communicate to my partner, like, this is what happens when I have an anxiety attack and, and I get really withdrawn. And she goes, we're walking along and she goes, stop, 
She goes, are you okay? And I'm like, I'm having an anxiety attack. And she goes, yeah, you haven't said a word for 25 minutes. And mm-hmm. she goes, I can barely keep up with you walking the dog. And I was like dragging the dog along on the leash, you know, so into that sort of fight or flight response. Um, yeah. And a few days after that event, I had a bit of a, a therapy session with a guy that uh, has got a bit of a background in like Chinese Taoism. Mm-hmm. And we sort of worked through a couple of things. And uh, that was a pretty intense experience mm-hmm. um, going through, you know, the the pain that I felt in my body and what that actually meant. So I'd say, I've got a headache, I've got sore shoulders. And that was just the first layer of defense. And we got down into some pretty dark stuff inside my gut. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and by that time, I was in tears. And, and uh, so that was another major step forward as well. Uh, Getting a tattoo can be a really intense experience. The smell is unique. The space is often exactly what our parents' greatest fears for our teenies were, and sometimes the people can seem intimidating. And this can make it really hard to go through getting that tattoo, especially if you've never done it before. Trauma Tats is a boutique studio where the whole experience, from the time that you call or message, to supporting you to develop your artwork, to making you feel comfortable and safe in the space, to managing big emotions that tattoos can bring to your aftercare. The whole experience is about you and meeting your needs, where you're at and making sure that the story that your tattoo is telling is nurtured and honored. With special care for those whose stories sit in the trauma space, you, your tattoo and your story are safe with trauma tats. If we've ever met or you've seen me online, you probably noticed that I have some tattoos. If you ask me, I'll tell you about them. My tattoos tell a story just like the ones that I share with you on the Trauma Tales. If you have a story to share or honour and want to do that in a space where you feel safe and respected, contact Trauma Tales, a professional tattoo studio, to work through what you've been through. Find them on Instagram or Facebook, at Trauma Tats, one T, and tell them Shan sent you. Yeah, understanding the relationship between your mind and your body is mm, such mm. a huge thing. And our bodies will tell us so many things. We just have to listen sometimes yeah. Yeah, and not yeah. shut them out. But when we're struggling with our mental health, we ignore those things because we don't want to deal with them because they are hard. Mm. It's really difficult in that mental health space to go, where does rest, because rest is important, mm. become struggle? Mm. Yeah, when is that point, that that tipping point where you go, I need rest to I just can't get out of bed. Mm. There's a really fine line. And when we are struggling with our mental health, we can't see it. Mm. And mm. we often we need people to go, I've got you. Or, you know, sometimes it, depending on the person, it's like, no, I see you and I hear you and I know your behavior. So your partner is that person for you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. These, um, yeah, like uh, I, I wouldn't say I was ever like suicidal or anything like that, but um, yeah, you, you definitely have these, like you get into a pretty dark place um, and yeah, she's able to like see that and say, okay, is everything okay? And, and I've learned to actually talk about it. So yeah. instead of just going, yeah, everything's fine and then going to the gym <laughs> um like actually sitting back and going, well, this is what's happened. This is what I'm going through. And I think the biggest thing I learned was 
whatever's going through your head, you have to be able to, you have to communicate that to people. Like, um, if you try and keep things to yourself, it's just not going to do you any favors. No. Mm. So have you in, in your like journey of information gathering? And I love that. I love Mm. that you're like, I'll take all of the information and I'll apply all of the things. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, that's okay. It doesn't mean it won't work for somebody else. Mm. And that's a really insightful and respectful way to approach these things because I find, and I'm sure you've come across them, people who are like, this is the only way forward. And if you don't do it this way, you nothing will ever happen for you. Whereas I'm very much, um, this might work, it might not. It's got a really high success rate, mm. but there's always exceptions. Mm. So let's try. But one of the things that... Um, I kind of reflect on is about how that insight for you means that you're able to take things on, give them a go and move forward. So I'm wondering about how, cause something that just popped into my head as you were talking was around your knowledge around attachment, but more importantly, drilling down into attachment attunement. Mm. Have you come across no, about no. attunement? No. Oh, okay. Oh my God. I love talking about <laughs> you. So Attunement is sort of um, a deeper sense of attachment. So as humans, we need attachment. We need attachment to survive and we never needed, like we couldn't have gotten better evidence than a pandemic, right? Mm. But attunement is different. Attunement is like the, do you remember like way back when we were kids and they in trucks, oh no, you know, this, you drove trucks, they have two-way radios. Mm, mm. You have to actually be in tune to each other to be able to communicate mm, and connect. Mm. Now as humans and neurologically fascinatingly, and you can absolutely go down a rabbit hole on this, it's great fun. We can tune into brain waves of each other through things like neuroplasticity, but mirror neurons. And we do this, like babies do this. Babies will do this. They'll actually learn the facial expressions of their carers as a way to communicate with the carer and make the carer more attached to them and therefore more invested in them. Mm. And Mm. we use attunement as a way to communicate with each other non-verbally, like Mm. without any behavioral or verbal attributions whatsoever. Mm. So Mm. it's almost like, do you ever feel when your partner walks in after work They've done nothing. They've literally worked, walked in the door and you go, you've had a shit day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That's yeah. attunement yeah, in action, yeah. right? And we do it with our children mm. and we don't even think about it. Mm. We're like, and it's going to sound really strange, but my son came to me the other day and he goes, something's wrong with the dog. Mm. And I'm like, mm. what are you talking about? The dog's just sitting there sleeping. And he's like, no, there's something wrong with the dog. And lo and behold, something was wrong with the dog. He was having an off day, but my son was like, I can feel it. Mm. Like I can, I can feel that the dog's not okay. And it's this feeling that you get that your person that you're connected to through time and space is not okay. Mm. Mm. So, um, yeah, go down that rabbit hole, Mm. find out about the attunement within attachment and Mm. how it's designed to keep us as humans connected. Um, because I think, the reason that sort of sprung for me was the relationships that are built in the military space that you occupied absolutely rely on that attachment and attunement. Like I, I'm not in the military. I've never been in the military. Mm, mm. Um, but my meager understanding of the military is I will watch a movie and they do weird shit with their hands on their arms and I'm like, what are they doing? I'm going to pause it and Google it. 
but then they do stuff where they know what the other people are doing mm, mm. and they don't actually talk. I'm like, how are you doing that? Their level of attunement within the military, within those little tiny teams, the, the type of team that you were in is so high. They're so attuned and is so attached into each other mm. that they're able to communicate without words or mm. behaviors. So taking all those attachments away from you must have been really mm. hard too. So do you still have connections with the people in the military or? Uh, yeah, I've got like um, a cut, like, yeah, some really good mates that I served with or mates that I would consider really good mates now that I've met since I've left. So, um, but with a similar background. So that ability to bond over that sort of unspoken, unspoken rule, but yeah, the key, I think the biggest thing for me with that is um, I never knew how to do that before. And I think when a lot of fellas and myself, um, when we get asked about what's wrong, we think there's the right thing to say. Mm. Like, oh, I'm not feel like they might say I'm not feeling well or, you know, oh, I'm having a shit time. But, and this is only something I've been working on recently, is really drilling down into yourself and saying, what's the actual problem? Like, And the biggest thing for me after the last anxiety attack and going through this process um, with this guy was um, working through what I thought was the problem, like people not liking me or me not being good at my job or like me having done the wrong thing and, and feeling like, you know, I didn't fit in society and people were like looking at me and like potentially like going to attack me and things like that was that I didn't like myself was like, and then I sort of laughed when we got to that point and he's like, what are you laughing at? And I'm like, Oh, that's easy to fix. You know, I, I was worried for so long about all these other things. Like, am I good enough? Uh, am I doing my job well enough? Am I the person who I thought I was going to become like, am I, you know, fulfilling all these things that we get Are into you? our, uh, somewhat. <laughs> so, okay. This is a heavy question. Mm. Feel free to tell me to fuck off. Do you like yourself? Uh, I like myself a lot better in the last few months since I realized that I didn't like myself. <laughs> you know what I mean? So, uh. Yeah, so I guess when I become aware of that, there's certain things that, uh, like, before you know, getting kicked out of the army and all that. There's there's this little part, and I think it ex exists in a lot of men. It definitely exists in me where you sort of want to raise the black flag every now and then. You're like, I'm going to get on it with the boys, or I need to do this and that, but. It doesn't for me and, and my goals. It's not. It's not the um, the answer to 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 my uh, what I, what I want to be and my my goals and career and family and things like that. So, um, in terms of like, do I like who I am? Uh, yes, but there's things about myself that like I still have to work at. Definitely. Yeah. Awesome. And it's uh, something you have to, a lot of guys, you know, they, I, I know I talk about you know, other mates, but, um, you know, we go and do something and we think that's the golden egg. 
that's going to fix me. I've been to therapy. I've been to rehab. I've done this. I've got like yeah, Marcus Aurelius's meditations and it's I've got highlights everywhere and I've got about 10 books that are highlighted and I go and read these things again and it's like I've never read it. Hmm. Or I go and read it again and it's like it makes it, – it has a completely different meaning to what it did the first time I've read it, you know, because like I'm moving forward, I guess. Maya Angelou. <laughs> Sorry? Have you come across Maya Angelou? Maya Angelou. No. She's no. a poet. She's an mm. American poet. Oh, she's passed away now. Um, but one of her most famous quotes is, when you learn better, you do better. And when you just talked about, like, I've read these books before, I've highlighted them, but I go back and they're different. Mm. That's because you're different. Mm. You you know better. So they mean different things to you. Mm. And like, I have an example in my own life, like my favorite book on the entire planet is To Kill a Mockingbird. And I read it every year mm. and every, and I've read it every year for, oh, fuck, 25 years, my God. <laughs> but every year... I see something new. I mm. read something new. I, I interpret it differently. And it's a, like for you, it's like as it should be for most people, an ever-evolving journey. Like I'm not who I was back here. Mm. I'm better in these ways. I'm different in these ways. Doesn't mean this person back here was wrong or bad. They just weren't as evolved, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, and that's something I've had to come to terms with where you get this new piece of this new tool or you, you sort of grow, like, you sort of sit back and go, oh, I wish I knew that 10 years ago. Yeah. You it's know? like, yeah. fuck, was I the asshole? Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of, I started to form this opinion and I even said it to my partner and mates. Sometimes I felt like in my young years, like I just wish I had someone to tap me on the shoulder and go, oh, you know, pull your head in a little bit. That never really existed for me because I was always the one in – like I got promoted at a young age. Mm. So I wasn't like, you know, like I was, I was large and in charge and I felt at times like, <laughs> I, you know, you know, <laughs> like and that was part of the problem. Like the ego that comes with that um, was like I was large and in charge and, and I was killing it and I was good at what I did. And I, but I, I, I would say I felt like I, I wish I felt like I had someone to tap me on the shoulder and tell me to pull my head in. But I know now that, Sometimes that doesn't exist. You've got to do that yourself. I've got to have the confidence to say, look, pull your head in, mate. This doesn't like it. This isn't working for you. You've got to, got to quit the shit, basically. Do you think you would have listened? No. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. You would hope that someone taps you on the shoulder a few times. <laughs> Maybe taps you just a wee bit harder. Goes, yeah, exactly. Nobody. Yeah, yeah, Nobody. yeah. And I even did that to mates in the past where I'm like, all right, he's gone a bit too far. I'm going to drag his ass in a cab and throw him in a cab home. Mm-hmm. And then I'd go back into the pub and carry on. You know what I mean? So, that dumb standard. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's that ego and that, like, just... So it's an ever-evolving journey for you. Yeah, 100%. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today, Brian. It's been an absolute joy. No worries. Thanks for your time. Anytime. Thank you for joining me today on The Trauma Tales. Now is a good time to go and do some self-care, especially if this tale resonated for you. If you'd like to reach out to the Trauma Tales to be a sponsor of the show or to come onto the show, please email 
the trauma tales all one word all lowercase at gmail.com this podcast is a production of shanna white psychology